Welcome to the Weekly Discourse. I'm your host, Bryce Bigham, Director of Media and Communications at Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. We're on the Man of God Network, which is a podcasting ministry of CBTS. The Man of God Network exists to help the church in her mission to identify and equip qualified, faithful men for the gospel ministry. We want to provide you with resources that both encourage you and edify you as you seek to build Christ's church where you are, to the end that he is better known, loved, and exalted. We're always thankful for those of you who are listening and sharing the shows. If you have enjoyed our content, please consider leaving us a good review on iTunes or the podcast app that you use so that others can benefit from these podcasts as well. Uh, Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary is a confessional Reformed Baptist seminary providing affordable online theological education to help the church in its calling to train faithful men for the gospel ministry. You can complete a seminary education while staying in your church. So pastors, if you have a gifted man in your congregation and would like him to receive a theological education while remaining in your church and under your mentorship, uh, consider consider CBTS. And some of you may be looking for opportunities to support native pastors and church planners across the world. Uh, CBTS has 60 students, 60 students outside of the U.S. in 19 countries, and that includes India, the Philippines, Australia, and others. Uh, if you're interested in supporting local church pastors and church planners in other countries to build Christ's church, Uh, consider coming alongside of us to support these men and giving them a good education. Uh, You can learn more about us at cbtseminary.org. And don't forget about our upcoming modular course offering on the life and theology of Benjamin Keach here in Owensboro, Kentucky. Uh, This is going to be held on September 4th through the 7th, and it's going to be taught by Dr. Tom Hicks, who's the pastor of First Baptist Church of Clinton, Louisiana, and Dr. Chris Holmes, who's the pastor of Yellow Creek Baptist Church here in Owensboro, Kentucky. And just a reminder, if you're interested in taking this course, it's going to be offered in a live stream format, and you don't have to be a student at CBTS to participate. Um, You can audit the course via live stream or in person. Um, So to learn more about registration and fees, you can visit cbtseminary.org slash keach2020. I'm really excited to announce that we are going to have special guests with us at this Labor Day module. Uh, We're going to be joined for a live recording of the Covenant Podcast. Uh, The Covenant Podcast exists to equip listeners with theological content from a 1689 Baptist perspective. The podcast is hosted by Austin McCormick, pastor of Shepherd Baptist Church in Dixon, Missouri, and Jimmy Johnson, pastor of Vista Baptist Church in Osceola, Missouri. We're excited to have these brothers with us for the module, and they're going to be interviewing Dr. Chris Holmes and Tom Hicks on the subject of the module, Benjamin Keach. Uh, They're going to do this live on Friday night, September 4th at 7 p.m. If technology cooperates, we hope to have this on Facebook Live as well on the Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary page. Um, If you haven't given them a listen at the Covenant Podcast, go check them out on your uh, favorite podcast app. Uh, They're putting out some really good content and interviews um, that I'm sure will be really edifying to you. So go go give them a listen. 
And last night we kicked off our live classes here here at CBTS for the fall semester with Dr. Sam Waldron teaching on the doctrine of God, which was phenomenal and is going to be a very helpful course. Um, There is still time to sign up. You might have a little bit of time to sign up for Doctrine of God, um, but there's there's time to sign up for Dr. Fred Malone's course on Preaching Christ from All of Scripture that begins in September. Uh, you can sign up for credit or audit at cbtseminary.org slash registration. And now turning our attention to this week's discourse, uh, as we said last week, some have said that one of the most critical departure points on so many issues in the church today is the law of God. In the midst of our modular course back in May on the Decalogue and Sabbath in Redemptive History, uh, CBTS hosted a helpful conversation between Dr. Sam Waldron and Dr. John English Lee on the subject of the law of God and the Sabbath. In last week's discourse, we heard part one of this discussion in which Drs. Waldron and Lee discussed federal vision and theonomy, and I, I encourage you to go back and listen to that if you haven't. It was very, very helpful. Uh, In this week's discourse, they address questions such as, how can we navigate honoring the Ninth Commandment in the digital age? It's a very relevant question. How would one go about convincing their local church that the Fourth Commandment is still applicable today? And maybe you listening to this don't believe that the Fourth Commandment is still applicable today. This is a helpful conversation. How can pastors rest on the Lord's Day? How can we uphold the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother, in a time where our magistrates are contradicting each other, our authorities are expressing different opinions, uh, many rulings being overturned um, on social distancing and other um, executive orders? How do we uphold the fifth commandment in our speech and in our our daily conduct in the midst of the situation? So let's join Dr. Waldron and Dr. Lee for this week's discourse. Well, that brings us to a number of more practical questions. Um, The first of which is, can you help us to navigate honoring the ninth commandment in the digital age? Uh, Stay off social media. (laughs) Um, no i mean the 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 temptation is the same that's always been there there's just a new vehicle that allows for you know immediate whatever thought comes into my brain i can immediately fire out in an instant which is really unhelpful if you're tempted to be loose-lipped or to be you know quick to speak and slow to listen which is the opposite of what we're called to do Um, so tips um i have you know i've known people who recognize their peculiar temptations in that area who have voluntarily given up their smartphone and gone back to a dumb phone and that was one of the best things they still had social media but to get on it they had to go home log in on their laptop open it up like take the time to write out a long like instead of them just firing off every thought that came into their brain and for some people that's really helpful you know it's not a law there but um, just recognizing yourself, and if you need it, get help and get accountability. Talk to your pastor, talk to your wife, whatever it is. Uh-huh. You know, I, it's 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 generally good advice for pastors or potential prospective pastors. If you have a controversial email that you've written, 
leave it in draft and think about it for three days. Mm -hmm. um, or if your eldership has a controversial email that it has to write, send it to your fellow elders. Talk about it at an elders meeting and, and wait. Don't, don't go off half dock. Um, I, I have all sorts of emails that I'm glad I never sent. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And and uh, because the first the first version of it, especially if you're upset, is really not what you want to put out there as a pastor. You yeah. need to, you need to think about it. You need to take all those terrible adjectives out. <laughs> yeah, take take a night at least to sleep on it first yeah. before you before you fire that email. Um, recognize that email is a terrible medium to communicate tone yeah Amen. so and if it's a hot button issue which is obvious in this situation mm -hmm. um, people are going to be tempted to interpret you the worst possible way yeah. and so if you have to use a written communication medium like that as opposed to face-to-face -face or on the phone then you almost have to go over the top in your tone on the yeah. email to be gracious and charitable and loving and sometimes people interpret that as as uh, disingenuous too, so you, you right. swing too far. And so, as much as you can, uh, if it's a controversial issue, don't don't just rely on email or text yeah. or emojis or any hieroglyphics, whatever <laughs> whatever you're using. Right? Um, see if you see, try and meet face to face because I also find that people through the medium, an impersonal medium like email or text, people can often bow up a lot more quickly and, and, and are tempted to be disrespectful through that medium. If you're meeting with them face to face, it often diffuses a lot of that and they see the warmth of what you're trying to do as a pastor. You're, you're really, you're trying to love them yeah. through this. You're not being mean. You're not, you're not just spiting them because you don't like them. Um, and yeah. so personal Communication is as helpful is, is is whenever we can is helpful in these kinds of areas. Amen. Face to face conversations are much better. They're much harder to get to. They're much better in their effect. Mm -hmm. Easier, easier. It's one of those things, isn't it? Uh, a lot of things that are easier short term are a lot worse long term. That's right. Mm -hmm. Emails a lot easier short term, but they are a lot worse long term. That's right. Go talk to the person. Smile at them. Uh, tell them how much you love them and do that in person, mm -hmm. right? I think you'd both agree regarding social media that uh, another thing that comes into play with the Ninth Commandment is maybe you should research something. Take away the maybe. Research things before you share them. Yeah. Because there are a lot of things that look good. Oh, I believe that. And you go off and share it and you're actually spreading lies. Yeah. Um, and you're spreading lies because you didn't take the time to find out. Now, I'm not saying to go to certain websites that claim to be telling you whether it's true or not and are actually spreading lies themselves, but take the time to research something before you just... Because, I mean, the temptation is as soon as the meme or the article pops up that is what I, what I was already thinking, yes, and I just share it, and then... You know, I didn't even read the whole thing. And you find out, they said, what? I shared that? Mm -hmm. And you can, if it, keeping the ninth commandment isn't simply a matter of not willfully lying. Yeah. You need to make sure, even by accident, spreading untruths. Yeah. To my knowledge, 
I don't think there's ever a time where um, it would be sinful for you to not retweet something. Right. <laughs> right? So there's there's no point that God has said thou must retweet, like, post, comment. Like it's okay to not voice your opinion on something, and in fact. It's probably wise most of the time for you to not voice your opinion on everything. You know, a, a, a fool that doesn't speak is, is at least considered wise, right? And then he opens his mouth and reveals that that's not the case, right? Proverbs talks a lot about the fool and his tongue. And, you know, it, before I even tweet, it may, even if it's true, is it said in a manner that's loving? Is it said in a timing that's loving? Like, does does it even need to be said by me? Maybe this is best said by someone else that's not me, right? There's some people, could, two different people can say the same thing, but one person might be received in a different way, right? I'm, for example, I may tell uh, something to my wife, like, or my children, lots of times. But one day they come home and they say, you know what so-and-so told me today? And I said, thing I told them half a dozen times already. They said, yeah, it was so great. <laughs> really, right? So, but God works through different people in different ways. Am I the person that needs to say this truth right now? Um, so I want to diffuse that pressure. You don't have to retweet or comment on every Twitter controversy because outside of the social media world, it's a lot less chaotic than it is inside that world. And if you only exist or... Existing in that world too much, your world starts to get warped around that chaos and you're sucked in. It's, 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 it's almost similar to pornography in a way that it's addictive. Like you got, it will, it will suck you in and it warps your worldview based around everything. Everybody is on an equal standing and everybody's opinion all needs to be heard on every issue, regardless of your level of expertise on whatever the issue is, right? Donald Trump, Trump can tweet, tweet something and then 300 million Americans all need to comment on exactly what he just said as if everyone's opinion is, is needed and helpful and equally valid. And oh. Anyway, I'll get off my soapbox now. I'll go tweet <laughs> let's, about it. Let's move on to a more difficult question. How would one go about convincing their local church that the fourth commandment is still applicable today? Am I the pastor of that church? Yeah. That's um, not in the question. Okay. So. <laughs> uh, I, so I would. Well, but the, your local church, I, okay. I guess maybe you answer both okay. for the layman and the pastor. Okay. Uh, I would say generally very patiently. Um, and I would let the word do the work. Um, so I'm going to love people, uh, as best as I can and not in a manipulative or self-serving kind of way, but I want to genuinely love them so that they genuinely love and respect me, right? As the way Christian love should be. And, um, at that point I've, I've, I've won their ear at that point. So they're, they're willing to listen at that point. They see, I'm not walking in on day one, you know, guns blazing for a theological fight, mm -hmm. right? And yeah. so, and then I'm, I'm just going to start thinking through and just asking questions about the word. I'm going to ask, hey, I've been reading about this, or hey, have you ever read this guy on this? And just, just start posing questions and offering what I think is good 
good literature on the subject and not being divisive. If I know my pastor is not there, I'm not going to be planting seeds of dissension among other people in my Sunday school. I'm going to go have conversations with my pastor and I'm going to I have I have voluntarily come there and submit myself to that pastor. So I'm not going to stir up fights and division in his church over this. Hmm. Right. God has put him over me in this season for a reason. And I'm to su- submit to him in that way and honor him not by not undermining his ministry there. Because that's what I'm doing. I'm sowing seeds of dissension there. Now, if my conscience is so strong on that issue, that particular issue of the Sabbath, then I might need to have a conversation with him. I might even need to find another church. Mm-hmm. If I can't in good conscience submit to him on that issue or sit quietly in that church, even if I may not agree with him, but sit quietly and submit to his leadership on that issue, then I might need to go to another church. Yeah. Um, so just a few opening thoughts there. Um, yeah, it, it strikes me. I, I'm, I'm, I'm responding to this as pastor, I guess. Um, one of the things that seems to me that you could do is um, get your people used to uh, uh, all sorts of good, respected, uh, historically uh, estimable uh, theologians, uh, you know, Spurgeon and J.C. Ryle. And, Everybody loves Spurgeon. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. Uh, I used to save articles anytime it came up that somebody was uh, clearly Christian Sabbatarian. I have articles that say James Dobson was, for instance. And, you know, not that I agree with every James Dobson said, but, you know, get your people used to all, all these wonderful guys. And then, oops, look, oh, you know, let's, let's start, you got this article by Spurgeon. He, he believed in the Christian Sabbath. J.C. Ryle taught the Christian Sabbath. James Dobson believes in the Christian Sabbath. How about that? Isn't that a miracle? Um, <laughs> And the other thing is, I guess this is more about public teaching. I'm just thinking out loud here, but you know, we know the three main pillars. You know, you know, teach our teach your people to respect the Ten Commandments. Teach your people to respect uh, the fact that creation ordinances of God are continued throughout history. Something is creational; it's perpetual. Teach them that uh, we have to respect apostolic authority and precedent, and then. You know, eventually uh, bring up the subject that the Christian, the Sabbath, the day of rest is both in the creation ordinance and it's in the Ten Commandments and it's in apostolic authority as well. Um, and uh, I don't know, those are just some straight thoughts. And I, I would add just very practically as a, as a pastor, you can sometimes almost um, undermine your teaching on the day of rest mm-hmm. by overloading Sunday, over-programmatizing Sunday. So we're going to have choir practice and we're going to have nursery and we're going to have pre-prayer meeting and we're going to have a church worship service and then we're going to have a group lunch and then we're going to have Lord's Day service, uh, Lord's Supper service and this and this and this. And you've turned a day of rest into 12 hours of being a church and doing something. Mm -hmm. And people don't want to hear a doctrine of rest that means 12 hours at church on Sunday, typically. So um, don't don't shoot yourself in the foot by out of zeal for good things, um, turning a day that was meant for life into a day that's crushing. Yeah. Um, Amen. And as with any doctrine, for especially with 
you know, if you're taking this as a as a man who's a new pastor in a church, like you mentioned at the beginning, patience. Mm. No matter because you're, you're not going to any new pastor is not going to walk into the perfect church, whatever areas they are, whether it's the fourth commandment or in another area that the, the church is less than biblical. It's the patient man who who actually reforms the church. Well, who God uses to reform the church. It's, it's the guys who come in all fired up that they're gone in a year and a half and more damage was done than help was made. Well, the, I mean, it's 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 cliche almost, but it's really true. Like they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care for them, mm -hmm. right? And if they don't, if if they trust you. The sheep will follow a shepherd they trust and they know, right? But if you come in and you're starting to lead them in a place they've never been, they're going to be skittish and nervous and they're going to bite back and it's going to, it's going to be hard. Um, so know that, play the long game. Know that our Lord is patient, right? How, how, how long did he persist with, un, you know, with rebellious Israel until he finally sent his son at the fullness of time? He's very patient, <laughs> very patient God. And so seek to be patient as he is as well. I'm, I'm going to create a little context for the next question. Uh, let's assume that you're in a confessional Reformed Baptist church, pastoring a professional, confessional Reformed Baptist church. Does a consistent breaking of the fourth commandment warrant church discipline? By that, I assume you mean like unrepentant. Consistency. I, I, yeah, I would guess that's what they mean. Unrepentant consistency. Like, well, I didn't write this question. For right. instance, I knew someone who just blatantly, they're they're in a Presbyterian church, claims to hold the Westminster Confession, and every Sunday afternoon, let's all go water skiing, and they just celebrate it in front of everybody, and mm -hmm. and you know half the church is really have you know yeah. I mean, yeah. brought low by it. Yeah. Well, I mean. Consistently breaking the Sabbath. I assume that doesn't mean like, you know, my sister, for example, is a nurse and she has to work once every four Sundays. I don't have any problem with that. I think that falls under deeds of mercy and mm -hmm. things like that. Uh, mm -hmm. Deeds of necessity uh, for the for the for the good of the neighborhood around me. Uh, but if we have someone that knowingly, willfully is forsaking the gathering of the brethren on the Lord's day, right, mm -hmm. which is a New Testament mm -hmm. command. Not just a, not just an old Sabbath thing that's gone away, but it's consistently, willfully not refusing to come to, and be a part of the life of the body. Then, then um, we would discipline that at, at our church. Uh, we have uh, have written a paper on church. We call that church abandonment. At that point, they mm -hmm. have forsook uh, their their own covenant to the people of God in this local assembly. And we we would do that after a long time of pursuing, right? We don't we don't just lop off one day when they don't show up. Oh, it's been your third Sunday in a row. Bye. <laughs> right? No, no, no. This is after a long period of trying to pull them back in, call them, reach out to them. We see the reason, just to take a little rabbit trail for a second. There's a reason why uh, Richard Greenham, who was one of the mentors of Nicholas Bound, a Puritan that wrote the first treatise on the Sabbath. There's a reason why Richard Greenham, in all of his pastoral wisdom, called Sabbath breaking the mother of all sins. And he said that because when people consistently, intentionally, habitually 
are breaking the Sabbath and not assembling with their people, they're hiding something else. Nine times out of 10, there's some other sin that's in their life. And, and I haven't been a pastor for, for decades, like, like some people have, but I've been a pastor long enough to see when someone just falls off the map, they fall off the grid, there's something going on. And a lot of times they need to be rescued out of the ditch, right? We need to, we need to go help pull them out. Um, and so I, there's a lot of wisdom in seeing Sabbath breaking as the mother of sin, not, not merely as it's just like this grand sin that's greater than all the rest, but that it evidences more than just a simple transgression. It usually evidences there's something that they know is wrong that they're doing, and there's some sort of shame about it coming into the people of God. They're afraid to darken the doors of the church because they know they're in sin. And so does ease their conscience. They stop coming. You know, I, I react to this question as a kind of anti-Sabbatarian argument against the Christian Sabbath. Well, if you if you discipline people for all sorts of other things, why won't you discipline them for this? The assumption made we would. But I think what the what that anti-Sabbatarian argument forgets, and of course the word consistent is important here, but um, there are all sorts of uh, minor violations of all the other Ten Commandments that we wouldn't discipline somebody for. That's right. And in the same way, they're, they're what we might call from a pastoral perspective, that not that any sin is little, but there are all sorts of, of violations of a proper Fourth Commandment keeping, a Lord's Day uh, uh, keeping, that uh, I might not agree with, I might think is uh, wrong, but as with any of the other Ten Commandments. We're not going to proceed to church discipline, you know, on on the basis of those kind of those kind of sins. And so, what the problem is with the anti-Semitarian argument is that it, they're 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 wanting us to treat the fourth commandment in a legalistic and uh, specific way that that the that they don't want to do the other uh, other commandments. So, some somebody has a problem, they take the Lord's name in vain, and we're going to discipline them for that? <laughs> no, we're going to go talk to them, and, and we're going to ask, tell them, you know, the, you know, the worst thing you can do in terms of speech is take the Lord's name in vain, right? You know that. It's even worse than obscenity. It's even worse than vulgarity. To take the name of the Lord in vain is profanity, and that's the worst thing of all. So, I mean, I, I, I think that's what's wrong with it as an adversary. Um, more of a positive question on the same subject. As most pastors have many responsibilities and duties each Lord's Day, what practical advice would you have for a pastor to help protect that day as a Sabbath day of rest? Well, first of all, okay. Dr. Lee's sitting there looking at me, so I'll say something. Go right ahead. <laughs> um, uh, first of all, uh, the priests worked really hard on the Sabbath, and they weren't breaking it. Um, and part of the answer to this may be that uh, the pastor has to make sure he gets physical rest at other times. Right? It's not quite the same thing, but it is, I think, an application of the principle. The other thing I would say is, we were talking about this earlier, and um, 
one of the solutions to this, that this, this reflects, I think, um, a, a typical situation where you have one pastor, three services, and he's doing everything. You know, thankfully, I've never been in that situation myself. Uh, I rarely have to minister more than once on a Lord's Day here. And in my life, I've rarely had to minister more than maybe a Sunday school in preaching. But, uh, and, and so the solution to this is, is, uh, partly plurality of elders where you have a, uh, a shared ministry in the church and one man doesn't think it's his responsibility to do everything. If you are the only man that can do anything, then, then, um, find some good video series for Sunday school and don't try to do another, another preparation and wear yourself out that much. Uh, you need, you need to get some rest. You're not going to be any good in the evening if you've worked uh, 12 hours and step into the pulpit and you don't know what you're going to say after, uh, after that in the evening. So that's kind of my, my general thoughts. I think, a, I think a proper church government and shared ministry is part of the solution to this. Absolutely. Totally agree. As, just as a personal testimony, I'm one of two staff preaching pastors. So that means every Sunday morning I get to sit under the ministry of the word and every Sunday night, my other staff pastor gets to sit under the ministry of the word and be fed. And that's, that's a wonderful blessing to, um, to have that freedom. Um, I'm especially sympathetic to the bivocational pastors on this issue that have to work all, all week long. And then they're the solo guy uh, trying to shepherd their flock on Sunday. Um, my, my encouragement is as best as you can delegate, get other faithful men, pour into men that might be one day, these other men that you can delegate real uh, big responsibilities to, and um, try as best you can to develop a, rev a, a rhythm of rest. So there's some people that, um, I, I believe it's um, Joseph Piper's book on the Lord's Day, where he says pastors ought to be doing all their preparation before the Lord's Day so that they serve on the Lord's Day and they're also resting on the Lord's Day. And then generally, I can agree with that statement, but there are a lot of pastors that can't do that. They're, mm -hmm. they're bivocational. They're, they're doing the best they can. So I'm not going to make that a law, um, but do what you can to have some sort of time of rest because you need to play the long game. Mm -hmm. You're going to burn yourself out really quickly. And related to that, students in seminary I saw would burn the candle at both ends. And by before the end of every semester, they're going to the doctor because they're ill. They've worked themselves to get bronchitis or laryngitis every semester. And their, their response is, well, I'll rest after the degree's over. I, okay, I understand what you're trying to do. And there's, there's something that sounds really pious about that, right? I'm going to sacrifice myself so that I can get to the church faster. You hear the little Messiah complex that can be in there? Like, they really need me up there on the front lines. Like, Christ's church is going to fall apart if I don't get there soon. Um, but, but neglecting the Sabbath during your studies is, is not, not only can be quite sinful, but uh, is you're setting yourself this rhythm and this expectation of work, this pattern that's unhealthy and it's unsustainable. And you have all sorts of guys that burn out either right before they graduate or three years into their ministry because they're doing the same kind of thing. So don't start thinking about a, a rhythm of work and rest before you start seminary. Mm -hmm.
Now, one of the best things I did in seminary is I decided that um, before I had any real training in the, in the Sabbath Lord's Day theology, was that I was not going to do homework unless I absolutely had to. I was not going to do homework on the Lord's Day. I was going to use that day and devote it to the Lord and to my family. And uh, by God's grace, I was able to do that. And, and I think that the Lord blessed that. He gave me more efficiency and effectiveness in six days than I could have had with seven. It's exactly what happens with our money, by the way. When we talk, we can do more. We find if you faithfully give to the Lord, you can do more with ninety percent than you could have ever done with a hundred. Amen. Right? The Lord does that with the money. Why would He not do that with our time? And <laughs> and when you faithfully are doing that, the Lord multiplies the work of your hands during the preceding six weeks. What He does, I mean, there's pagan psychologists will affirm this too. If there's a regular rhythm of rest in your life, your productivity and efficiency goes up. Yeah. If you're working all the time and there's never an off day, your productivity plummets. So it's not merely that God's law says do this. There's also tangible, clear benefits to you physically, psychologically, emotionally, and spiritually. So don't start that after seminary. I've always wanted to preach a message with three points. Mm -hmm. The three points are how to serve God. That's the thing. One-seventh of your time, one-tenth of your money, in all of your heart. That's right. Mm. <laughs> That's great. Mm. Uh, you know, sometimes even just little practical things can be helpful in this area. It's almost silly. I had I had a pastoral theology instructor in Bible college who said, and, and this is much of what he said I've thrown away, but uh, he, he said, you make sure and he's talked to most of these guys who are going to be preaching Sunday morning and Sunday evening every week. So you make sure in the afternoon you take your suit off. And it just seems silly. What, I have to change clothes? Well, the fact of I started doing it. You take your suit off and you relax. Yeah. Just something that simple can make the day more relaxing. Yeah. Um, but I'm going to, we're, we're, I'm going to, we're going to, close with a bomb here. Um, today we find our nation at an impasse where the civil magistrates contradict one another. An example being the issue of opening back up our churches where the president and the governor may disagree. How do we wrestle through this issue in relation to obedience to the fifth commandment? Let me say generally, we have to figure out and this is true in a, any many, many situations with regard to civil authority. We have to figure out who our true authority is in that particular situation. I'm not saying that's an easy question. I'm not saying it, uh, um, it's easy to answer, but I am saying the fundamental question is who is your authority? Is it the governor or the president? Um, it's the same thing when in terms of submission to any civil authority. there Most of the time, we don't have to ask who our civil authority is, we know. But in times of revolution and political turmoil, it can be very difficult to answer that question. And yet it's fundamental and key. So we have to, we have to answer the question, who is our true authority? And when we know the answer to that question, we know who to, we know who to submit to, uh, providing they're not telling us to sin or uh, to, to, to sin, we should submit to their directives. 
So uh, you know, that's a, that whole thing was made fairly easy for us here in Kentucky because um, I, the week before we opened up May 17, uh, a couple of court cases were one that basically uh, said that the governor's executive orders with regard to closing church uh, were, were not the law. The, the courts overruled them and he accepted those. Those, those judgments. And so that was made fairly easy for us. It, uh, the courts are the arbiter of what the law is and should be under the constitution of the country and of the state. And so it made our decision to open on May 17 pretty easy, frankly. As long as we could, we would, so. Um, I'm trying to decide which way I want to go with this answer. <laughs> uh, Whichever one you agree with, how about that? <laughs> uh, just a, a couple. Uh, yeah. I was just going to give a couple of different observations. Completely agree. We need to figure out who the authority is, and I'm by no means a constitutional or political theory expert. Uh, but in our current cultural setting here in America, you know, the the president is not a king. He's under the authority of the U.S. Constitution. Yeah. Right. And so that that's that's important. And then we need to, again study hard and think clearly about the relationship between federal authority and state's authority. Um, I don't want to wade into those waters right now. Um, and, uh, but I also just pastorally, right? The, the commandment, honor those in authority over you. Peter says, honor the emperor, right? Um, it's positively, and I know that it's stated positively, and I still have remaining fleshly tendencies within me. I know that my sinful disposition is towards dishonoring and rebellion, right? So the moment that I'm starting down the path of any sort of dishonoring, rebellion against any kind of authority, I need to be very suspicious of that. Uh, I need to have, I need to be riding the brake real hard. Doesn't mean I don't need to go there. Right. We bring in Calvin's understanding of the doctrine of the lesser magistrate. If the greater magistrate is doing something unjust or wicked, we can follow the lesser magistrate. You know, there's people that have written about that. But I, I want to be very hesitant to do that. I want to go out of my way to bend as much as I can and flex and be as gracious as possible before I start, you know, lobbing the Molotov cocktails, you know, and because they're. If, depending on who you follow, who you listen to, there's, gosh, there's all sorts of voices out there that want to stir up stuff. And they almost seem like bent towards whatever the controversy and anarchy is of the day. Whatever that is, I want to stir that up and I want to I calm that down because mm -hmm. sinful people are naturally inclined towards that. And Christians should be different. Yeah. They should be hesitant. Right. We should our disposition needs to honor as much and as long as we can until we absolutely cannot anymore. And that doesn't mean, well, he just raised taxes 0.5%. It's time to boop, you know, overthrow, have a coup. Like let's let's we're gonna go out of our way and bend. So I would just encourage a disposition of of patience and deference as as much as possible. In Titus three one. Paul is exhorting obedience to the authorities, civil authorities. Uh, and he ends with the phrase, 
uh, that I think is kind of significant that he puts it in that context. He says, showing every consideration for all men. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it isn't even what we might have the liberty to do or think we have the liberty to do. It's what, uh, what should we do? Uh, showing every consideration for all men. That's not man-pleasing. That's something else. But, but we, are to, we are to show every consideration for all men. Sometimes we do have to take into consideration um, in a proper way how what we do may reflect on the gospel of Christ, on right. people's opinion of Christ. That's right. Yeah, if there's a local church that's leading the rebellion to overthrow the people, that's speaking to the unbelievers about the nature of Christ and the gospel. Yeah. Like, man, those are violent Christians or those are angry Christians. Yeah, or, Christianity becomes a terrorist group. That's, that's right, right. Which is the opposite. The early church yeah. men, when they were defending Christianity, would say, hey, we're your most loyal subjects. Yeah. Yep. Until you tell us to disobey God, we're your most loyal subjects. Mm -hmm. and, and they used that as an apologetic. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, we're uh, going, gone over time. But thank you, gentlemen, for um, answering these questions. And look forward to the rest of your class, Dr. Lee. Uh, Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary exists to help the church to train men who love our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to faithfully tend and care for Christ's dear sheep and to faithfully proclaim His gospel throughout the world. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening to the Weekly Discourse. If you have been blessed by this week's discourse, please consider subscribing to the Man of God Network so that you can continue to be blessed with resources like these. If you would like to learn more about Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary, visit us at cbtseminary.org. That's cbtseminary.org.